If you have your Bibles, if you'd like to turn with me, we're going to continue in the Gospel of John. John chapter 11, looking at verses 27 through 32. This morning, as we continue looking at John 11 and we consider the death of Lazarus, we specifically are going to take some time and look at the response of Mary and Martha as they are confronted with Jesus. This is John chapter 11, verses 27 through 32. Jesus has just asked of Martha, do you believe this? And she responds in verse 27. She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and he is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise up quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. How will or should a given person re respond in any given situation? It's not an qu easy question for us to answer. How should we respond in any given situation? We might have an idea of how someone should respond, but my idea might not be the same as your idea. You might have a different idea of how one should respond. Everyone typically will respond in their own way, different from others. This leads us to a question, is there a right way to respond in any given situation? That's not an easy question to answer. Certainly, we might be able to say there are ways to respond that are not good. You know, we shouldn't throw fits. We shouldn't respond in anger. Uh, we can say there are sinful ways in which we should not respond but for the most part we all are going to respond in our own way but what we need to know is that the bible also informs us how we are to respond during different events in our lives for the most part we're all going to encounter situations in our lives that from a day-to-day -day basis, we're simply called to respond to. Some of these are, seem to be not of great consequence. Uh, I got up this morning, and I had to choose what I was going to wear today. This is The Bible really doesn't inform me on my outfit choice, right? I make the best decision I can make. It doesn't tell me the best way to get to the church. Questions like these are simply questions we have to answer with the best decision we can. However, there are other situations that we can look to the Bible, and it informs us how we, how we should respond. How do we care for those around us? What is our responsibility in regards to the gospel? How do we respond in the face of suffering and even death? The Bible teaches us how we are to react and respond in these different situations. Mary and Martha present for us two portraits of living and saving faith. 
They show us the way different people respond in different situations. We see how they respond to Jesus. We see how they're responding to hardship. We see how they're responding to loss. So as we come to our text today, we're going to see three points. We're going to see the faith or faith of the head. Second, we're going to see faith of the heart. And third, we're going to see faith that is balanced. Faith of the head, faith of the heart, and faith that is balanced. We begin by looking at faith of the head. Martha, of course, was the first who was to encounter Jesus when he arrived at Bethany. Martha came and she was seeking answers. Oh, Lord, if you had only been here. But her faith, as we see, was still informed enough and strong enough that she had hope that Jesus could still do something. We see, saw this in verse 22. Or 24, I should say. Or no, 22, that's right. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. She had a faith that was informed in her mind, in her head, that Jesus had the power to do many wonderful things. Jesus, in response to her, doesn't rebuke her, but he points her to his resurrection power. Martha is a good example for us, then, of what saving faith looks like. Her opening words here in verse 27 are this, yes, Lord, I believe. First and foremost, her response to her grief and her response to Jesus is to declare her belief in God. She receives and believes Jesus' teaching because she knows who he is. This is where true faith begins, by turning our eyes and opening them, by opening our ears to the word of God. James Montgomery Boyce says it this way, Martha gives the basis of her understanding. The basis is the word of Christ. This does not mean that she understands everything he has been saying. In fact, she does not. But rather she accepts it, whatever it is, because she knows that his words are trustworthy. Yes, Lord, I believe. The only way to come in faith, the only way to grow in faith is to listen humbly when Jesus speaks, to trust and believe what he says. Where the Bible speaks, where Jesus speaks, faith says, yes, Lord, I believe. But not only do we see that she believes? We see the content, the reason for her belief. Faith is not something that simply says, Lord, I just feel that this is true, and because I feel it's true, I'm going to follow you. No, that's not simply enough. She says, I believe, and there is context and content to her belief. So what her belief? So what does she believe? What does she believe? And what we see in her answer here. The, the context even for the whole Gospel of John, the whole purpose of the Gospel of John, as John reminds us at the end of his uh, Gospel in John 20, 31, he says this, but these are written, all the things that he wrote, including this text here that we see today, these are written so that you may believe 
that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the purpose of John's writing, and we see it on display here in the response of Martha. It's the very faith Martha confess, confesses. It's the faith that we must confess, that we must know and believe if we are to be Christians. First, Mar Martha declares that Jesus is the Christ. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ. This is the, the word Christ comes from the Hebrew word anointed. So in essence, she would be saying this way, I believe you are the anointed one. And this refers to the three divine offices of the Old Testament, prophet, priest, and king. She believes that he is anointed to each of these, that he is anointed to reveal God's truth, to offer sacrifice for sins, to establish God's sovereign reign. She believes he is Messiah, anointed. Just as we must believe, Jesus is, is the one who brings God's salvation to earth. So she believes he is Christ, Messiah, anointed one. All these mean the same. But second, she believes that he is this, the son of God. You are the Christ, the son of God. Belief in Jesus as the son of God is essential to Christianity. One is not a Christian without this confession. If you do not confess that Jesus Christ is the son of God, then I'm telling you today, you're not a Christian. You have to believe. It is essential to faith. He is not just another created being. He's not just a good man. He's none of these things. If you believe this about Jesus, then you're not a Christian. Not according to the Bible. He is the son of God. The reason, the reason that Jesus could do all that he was doing, that he could perform miracles, was because he was the son of God. The reason why Jesus' death has any importance to us is because he is the son of God. So she believes. She believes what? That he's the Christ, that he's the son of God. And third, the one who is coming into the world. You are the Christ, the son of God, who is coming into the world. She believes that he is the one who has come, that he is the promised one, that he is the child promised to Adam and Eve, the child who would crush the head of the seed of the serpent. She believes, as Exodus taught her, that he is the Passover lamb slain to redeem God's people from sin. She believes that, as Isaiah taught her, that he is the servant of the Lord who was crushed for our iniquities and by whose wounds we are healed. She believes that he is the promised Messiah, the son of God who has come into the world. This is what she has belief in. Do you believe this? Jesus asks her and she says, yes, Lord, let me tell you about the content of my belief. I believe you are the Christ, the son of God who has come into the world. He is the one revealed in scripture. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior. The content of Martha's faith was wholly centered on Jesus himself. John 5 says, 524 says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment 
but he has passed from death to life. G, or Mary, or Martha, excuse me, Martha believes this. And we, like Martha, are to come with a mind that seeks to know the word of God. We are to run to him and see greater and deeper understanding. Knowledge is not something that is merely cold and lifeless. We are to come and study and to know it is our knowledge that informs us about how we think, live, and believe. It is essential for the Christian then to know more of who Jesus is, to know where he comes from, to know what he came to do, and to know where he is going. And this knowledge enables us in our time of distress to know how we are to rightly approach the hardship we face. If Jesus is who he says he is, if he is the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world, then we can approach death, much as God is instructing Martha here, with hope. Knowing that God has not left us alone, that he has not abandoned us, but that he has secured for us a lasting hope. So we might could say it this way, that one response to the coming of Jesus in response to the death of a loved one is a response of the mind or the head. But second, in Mary, we see a response of the heart. We know that Mary and Martha are very similar, but they're also different in some key ways. Mary, at this point, stayed home while Martha went to see Jesus. Mary didn't come until she was called. But in response to Jesus' call, Mary did come to him. Each of us must also be like Mary. And it can be argued, it doesn't specifically say it here, but I think there is some good inference for this. If you want to disagree with me, that's fine. That Martha, or that Mary, much more than Martha, was consumed by her grief. She's still at home with the mourners, so much so that when she leaves, these mourners think. She's not going to see Jesus, but that she's going to the tomb to mourn some more. She was overwhelmed and overcome with her grief. But even in the midst of her grief, when Jesus calls her, she leaves all that she's doing behind and she goes. Matthew Henry says it this way. When Christ, our master, comes, he calls for us. He comes in his word and ordinances, calls us to them, calls us by them, calls us to himself. We see in Mary, in her response, her personal devotion to Jesus. Yes, she may have been grieving bitterly, but when she heard Jesus' call, she went immediately. And Mary was not hindered by the opinions of other people. Many are kept from Jesus today because they're worried what others might think and we see a crowd is going with her and that did not hinder her but her heart was devoted to jesus when he called she immediately came and we must do the same we not only see it in her response but what she does when she gets to jesus oops turn too far back When Mary, this is verse 32, when Mary came to where Jesus was in Psalm, she fell 
at his feet. She fell at his feet. There are three stories of Mary in the Gospels, and in every single story, do you know where we find Mary? At the feet of Jesus. She comes worshiping. She comes learning. She comes in faith. True faith comes primarily to worship him, to exalt his name, to celebrate his saving work, to gather at his feet and hear his words. Mary relied on Jesus to meet her every need. Her need was comfort, and she comes to Jesus to find that comfort, even though her words echo what her sister has said. If you had been here, my brother would have not not died. It doesn't come as an accusation. It comes as a need for comfort. She comes reverently. She comes humbly. She pours out her heart at Jesus' feet. This is the kind of faith to which we're all invited and Jesus' response to Mary was one of compassion. We see this as we continue, if we were to look into verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And we might ask at this point, and we'll see this more next week, but why is Jesus greatly troubled? Isn't he simply going to go and raise Lazarus from the dead, but note here why he's troubled. Not, it doesn't say because Lazarus died, although that is coming. We're, we're going to see that. It's because he sees the weeping of his beloved friend, Mary, and the weeping of the crowds. He sees the sorrow and the brokenness because of death and sin in the world, and it brings him to be deeply moved in his spirit and to be troubled. Earlier in John, Jesus tells us that his sheep hear his voice and he calls to them. And when the shepherd calls, we must come. Even as Mary came with a heart that relied on Jesus for comfort, but sadly we can at times be far too stubborn we allow the worries and concerns of this world to drown out the call of Jesus. We don't respond in obedience the way we should because the world says one thing or it says another. It says, you should believe this or you should believe that or how could you say this or that? That's prejudice or intolerant. And I've noticed more and more that people who would call themselves Christians are more concerned with the call of the world than with the call of Christ. Christians have allowed the opinions of the world to affect how they view their approach to God. We look around us in this world today, and our country specifically has become very polarizing. It seems that most people are falling into one of two camps, and whatever those two camps might be, they seem to be at ends. And you either accept what the world tells you to accept, or you are immediately labeled as intolerant and someone who is to be discredited. we see this you are you pro-life then you're ignorant you're stupid are you not for if do you believe homosexuality is a sin then you are 
labeled as idiot or stupid. If you were to follow rightly and truly the word of God, then you are intolerant and someone who is not to be tolerated. But the believer, we must not focus on what the world is telling us. We must first and foremost have a heart that is devoted to Jesus. Your social and political positions are not what should, you should find primacy in your life. I am honestly at times baffled how anyone finds great hope in either of the two political parties we have in this country right now. The reality is that neither is where we should find our hope. Neither is even, even where we should find our despair. We must focus again our eyes on Christ. We must hear his call and we must respond in faith and in love. Which leads us to our third and final point, a faith that is balanced. So which of these two responses is right? Is Martha's response of the head, of the mind right? Or is Mary's response of the heart right? But the reality is that we must have both head and heart joined together in a faith that rests in Christ. Mary displays some of her weakness in a faith that is driven purely on emotion. She seems to be more captured in her grief than her sister. She had given herself over to grief that Jesus had not yet come. And she needs to take a step back. She needs to devote herself more to knowing of who God is, to study the Bible, to find security there. And yet Martha's faith could also grow. Yes, she was helped in her grief by a stronger grasp of the truth, but Martha should also learn to know Jesus as Mary did, to come and fall at his feet, as, at a loving master who ministers to her heart, Service without a heart connected to Jesus leads to anxiety, to frustration, to bitterness. She has come to come to Christ in prayer and grow in her love for him. We must have both a heart and mind that is devoted to Jesus. One of the beautiful things that we see here is this is an, a, a lesson that Jesus is not simply teaching to Mary and Martha. He comes to Bethany to minister to the faith of those he finds there, each according to his or her own need. Jesus not only called Mary to come to him, but he also arranged for the visiting mourners to follow. They would be present for this greatest miracle Jesus performed uh, apart from his own resurrection, which, is, which has not yet happened in our text. Perhaps you have come not yet believing in the way Martha did. Jesus offers to teach you by his Holy Spirit he would reveal his divine majesty to your mind and heart. Perhaps, perhaps you have come and you lack Mary's love for Jesus. Jesus calls you all the same. Your heart can rise up answering, yes, Lord, I come. I graduated, many of you might know, and maybe you don't. I graduated from Reformed Theological Seminary in Jackson, Mississippi, and we had a motto that was on all our logos and stuff. It said, a mind for truth and a heart for God. Now, in some ways, it's a convoluted statement we can acknowledge. We need to have a mind for truth and a mind for God and a, and a heart for God and a heart for truth. I think there's a both and here. But it, it teaches something. We have to have both a mind and a heart for truth and a mind and a heart for God. We must seek out truth. We must seek out the word of God 
It is something that we never can stop pursuing. We must run to his truth to allow his truth to inform and comfort us in all seasons of our life. Are you experiencing trouble? Are you experiencing loss? Then if you know more of who God is, he can help you. And this must be joined with a heart for God. We cannot simply be cold in our understanding of doctrine. PCA oftentimes is called the frozen chosen, that we are all about doctrine and not about love and compassion. But our doctrine must drive us to love, to compassion, to hope and joy. We must faithfully come and be in deeper relationship with our Savior. Both of these things are crucial. They are needed and necessary to the Christian life. Like Martha, we must come and know more about who Jesus is, that he was the Messiah promised, that he is the Messiah who has come, that he is indeed, as he declares, the resurrection and the life. Like Mary, we must come in faith and in love, knowing that Jesus cares for us, that he brings us comfort, that we can rest secure in who he is and what he has done. And we must not favor one over the other. We must be balanced. We must both know and we must feel. We must allow our knowledge to inform our emotions. And yet in all of this, we are left with the same question, aren't we? It is the question that Jesus has of Martha. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who has come into the world? That he is Messiah, that he is Savior, that he has come for you? If you believe this, then fall at the feet of Jesus and worship and praise him in, in, with an emotion-filled heart. If you have not yet made this commitment, then come and fall at his feet. Know this truth and allow it to move you to repentance and faith. Next week, we're going to consider how Jesus responds to the death of his beloved friend Lazarus. And then we move from there we're about to hit into the last week of Jesus' life as he comes and you start moving to the cross. It's important that we have these foundational truths in mind. That we are indeed to have a mind for truth and a heart for God as we seek to follow after our Savior in humble obedience and reliance upon his word. Let's pray.